welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Welcome to the show. This is Crystal Arnold, your hostess and founder of Money Wise Women and Money Morphosis. And remember, you can check out the full blog post of this episode at money-morphosis.com. So imagine the last money conversation that you had. If you want to close your eyes and take yourself back to that moment that you brought up this taboo topic and discussed money or uh, some form of finances, whether it was asking for a raise, talking about inheritance, talking with your partner about how to budget for your next vacation, or talking about your teen- to your teenage kids about, about getting more financially independent. Think back to that moment and see, you know, can you remember what you were feeling in your body uh, at that time and really what, what that experience was like? Did you have the outcome you hoped for? Were you able to really speak openly with that person? Were you well-received and, and feel like you were understood? And as as many of us have experienced, money is, can be really tough to talk about. It's a very taboo uh, topic in our culture, and it's, uh, you know, it's really causes a lot of stress for people because one, they're probably uncertain about how to manage their money. And two, uh, it, it can be really tough to have the financial conversations that we have to because we um, handle money nearly every day. And it's, it's a really important part of life. So I'm, I'm really excited to have our guest bring her wisdom on this topic here today. Um, her name is Hadassah Damien, and she is a Brooklyn-based award-winning artist, progressive technologist, and an educator at Ride, Fear, Ride Free Fearless Money, her iconoclastic blog, and she also offers uh, finance classes, including uh, the most recent one called Partners Make Peace and Plans with Money Toolkits. And so her mission is really to stabilize creative communities by empowering people's relationship to money and uh, to, as she says, help people hack capitalism. So truly, we are moving into an era, whether people want to call it post-capitalist or not. I believe 
the uh, things really are changing. And so we need to participate more openly and get engaged with understanding our own relationship to money and then just being able to, to talk more openly about it. So we'll get some uh, tips and advice on, on how to do that with both your intimate partners as well as um, in as a entrepreneur, a professional, and a woman. And so um, welcome to the show. I would love to begin by hearing what what do you find most exciting about the work that you do? Um, <clears throat> hi, Crystal. Thank you so much for having me today. And I one of the things that I love about getting to do the work that I do is I, I see both an individual and, uh, you know, individual effect, positive effects for the individuals I work with, whether it's in, in coaching or in workshops or, or courses that I have, which is wonderful. Um, and I also see the uh, larger community ripple effects. And let me tell you what I mean by that, because I work um, – so much with um, with women, with creatives, with um, progressive, socially engaged people, with couples, <laughs> with um, uh, folks from the LGBTQ community. These are often people who are thinking about themselves and about the greater and bigger communities that they're part of. And so when an individual is able to um, turn down their money for have um, a strategy that actually works for them, (laughs) Um, what that means is that person has more energy. That person has more energy for themselves, for their self-care, for the things they're passionate about, whether it be their work, their business, their creative um, things they work on. But that always translates, in my experience, into also more time to be part of communities, be part, um, bring bring energy uh, to your family, right? Um, in the case of people who are able to um, end up with more financial resources, that often looks like people being able to put some of those resources into organizations and groups that are parts of their communities. So I get so, so inspired doing this work by seeing the, the huge benefits that it has for an individual to start to do their personal work around money and, and economics. Mm. I love that how it how it really does ripple out when people gr- get greater self-awareness and around money and improve their relationship with money and get their skills and and how it really does um one inspire people that they're close to and and talking with and and two as you said can really bring greater financial resources and uplift uh the community and organizations that they're part of and mm-hmm. um that is super cool um I am curious uh, to hear more about your own money story and what what brought you into this field of work. Yeah. Um, so I <laughs> I'm an uh, at heart I'm a creative I'm a maker of things, and my journey for for many many years has been to have many jobs, <laughs> one of them being my creative job, my creative work. Um, so for many years, I was a co-director and co-curator of a performing art tour. Um, I put writing out into the world. 
I've uh, curated literary events, theater events, and um, done all kinds of fantastic things. And I've done that on my own, and I've done it in collectives with other people. And, you know, whether you're doing this individually or with a group, uh, at some point, you always have to figure out, well, where's the money going to come from? How are we going to put gas in the van so we can tour around? How are we going to make sure that if people are taking time off work to be part of this, that they are still able to pay their rent um, at the end of it? How do we compensate artists for their labor? Right? The big question, <laughs> I think, um, uh, in our culture at large. And in, in trying to really think through and answer those questions, I also found myself the person in these organizations or in my own freelance work um, who was responsible for the business part of the organization. So I would track the receipts. I would make sure that come tax time, <clears throat> we were doing all of our write-offs and doing them correctly. Um, I would, you know, participate in looking for grants when they were applicable. Um, and I would um, participate in doing community fundraising, trying to figure out what we should charge for events, what it made sense to charge for art services, et cetera, et cetera. And I was really, really rooted in this idea of both sustainability um, but also got more and more interested in how the heck the finances work. And, and from doing that, I moved into being part of a worker-owned cooperative business um, about five years ago. And uh, worker-owned cooperatives are super, super interesting to me. They're a really great indicator of, our, of ways our, um, our economic system can marry people's interest in um, doing building their own businesses, doing work that engages them, and um, not having to do it all yourself, right? Not having to be great at everything, but actually having a group of people with which you do things. And um, I learned a ton, um, specifically around working in technology and using some problem-solving thinking, specifically in working with technology. And, and I also took on um, doing the books for the organization. So it really helped us do some financial forecasting, thinking about, you know, I moved us over to QuickBooks, you know, some technical things like that. And around the, around the end of my time there, when it was time for me to move on to another organization um, and try to do some bigger things, I was also asking myself a question. And I live in New York City, in Brooklyn, and the question that I decided to challenge myself with was, what would it take for me to buy an apartment in New York City? And this was a question that I had traditionally just not even let myself entertain. Anytime I had uh, considered what it would be like to own an apartment in New York, I would just shut the thought down immediately and say, oh, well, it's not going to happen. Don't even, don't even think about it. I realized that, that actually doing that was limiting my ability to figure out what the heck it would take for me to buy an apartment in New York City. So I put on my research hat. And I started calling around, trying to find out, well, what kind of income do you have to have to qualify for what kind of mortgage and what's the cost? And actually just did a little, did a little digging. <laughs> and I found out two things. Number one, um, that with the income that I had at the time, which was um, under 50 grand a year, um, I was not going to be able to buy an apartment in New York City. It wasn't going to happen. Um, I wasn't going to be able to get the mortgage. But I was able to do something with that information. I was able to go, okay, well, now I get to now I get to pick. Do I want to 
continue in the particular position that I'm in, um, the job that I'm in, or do I want to change my job so that I can raise my income so that I can potentially get an apartment in New York City? Um, and it allowed me to be empowered when I, for the time being, decided to not change my job and say, you know what, I love my job. I'm going to stay where I am right now, but I, I know what it means when I'm making this choice. And something that I did instead was that I took um, a smaller amount of resources that I had um, and partnered up with a friend. And she and I said, you know what, we, neither of us can buy apartments in New York City, but we potentially can buy um, a piece of property somewhere else. And so we went on this journey of figuring out where else we might be able to do so. And I, I followed a very similar research path. Okay, well, what kind of mortgage can I qualify for? What might happen? How, how does this work? Um, and it was a real self-engaged, uh, self-education process. And, and in that process, something really exciting happened for me, which is that I found out that I had remedied my credit such that my credit was over 800. And this is awesome just in general, and I'm super excited and proud. Um, but it was also awesome because about 10 years earlier, I had defaulted on my student loans and um, then had to go through a whole process to remediate those loans. And through the, through the journey of running my own freelance businesses, formerly starting businesses for arts organizations, um, and learning about money and how it worked in general, um, I had been able to, you know, do all these credit hacks, <laughs> essentially, to raise my credit up. And that taught me something really amazing, which is that it's possible to change a financial experience, something that feels really bad, right? Defaulting on my student loans is not fun. But, but current research um, and numbers show us that approximately 11% of people who have federal student loans are in default right now, right? That number is creeping up over time. Um, so I was super excited, super proud, and put a post up on social media on Facebook. Hey, everyone. I'm so excited. My credit's over 800. I fixed this. This is awesome. Oh, my gosh. I should teach a class or something. <laughs> and then the response that I got was huge. So many people responded to that post to say, yes, oh, my gosh, you should teach a class. Tell me how this works. I, I give, give me more information. And I realized that there was a real need there. There was like a real pain point of something that I had a bunch of information on that I could figure out how to share with people. And that was around the end of 2015. And that's when I started Ride Free Zero with Money, which is my education and uh, my education business where I just get, you know, have the, the privilege and the um, exciting opportunity to have conversations with individuals and groups of people about how they can make money, their experience of money, the money that they have right now, um, work better for them and how they can relate to it in a way that is healthier for them. Wow, such a cool story. I just uh, appreciate so many 
parts of that, um, you know, I, I want to emphasize what a cool um, model of the future and currently the worker-owned cooperative is. And if listeners haven't checked that out, um, I, I encourage you to look into uh, supporting those. And uh, whether it's a food cooperative, we have a Grange cooperative here for farm supplies. And uh, nice. it's just a really cool way to um, have more worker, you know, benefits and involvement in to a next level in the organization. Um, what what I really appreciate is you know that you went through this um, financial challenge you know um, of of defaulting on the student loans and then were able to um, you know I I want to hear more about how how you bounced back. And, and it may have taken a while, um, but, but what would you recommend to people who have gone through some kind of financial trauma or challenge um, as, as far as, you know, how, how can they be resilient and really come through it uh, and receive the gifts and insights and, and be better off for it? Mm. Yes, Crystal, I love that you use the word resilience. Um, I think that's that it's such an important concept, and I really appreciate that terminology coming in when we're thinking about finances and money, um, because I, I, I kind of just tying a little bit to what what I was talking about earlier, but also what I um, perceive your work to be about is that there is um, is that we relate to money, right? And part of what is part of what's happening to our whole financial ecosystem is how we're relating to what's happening. And, and to me, resilience is, is, is building up our capacity to, um, to relate in new ways or to relate um, strongly when things are uh, difficult around us. Um, so, yes, yes, <laughs> I, love, I love that. Um, to me, yeah, I would love to talk about the student loan experience. It's something I realized I should add to my money story in that that also really informs my work, um, is that I come from a, a working class background. So what does that mean? Um, that means that uh, I have a single mom, um, and she worked uh, until very recently, um, uh, worked for an hourly wage, not a super high hourly wage. Um, and a lot of the people that I knew and a lot of the folks um, where I'm from, a lot of my family members are smart, awesome, hardworking people who don't make a ton of money. Um, and so that was a lot of what was informing my money story and my, my relating, my relating to money. Um, just kind of thinking that, well, gee, it's always pretty hard. And, you know, like uh, some people make a lot of money, but I don't really know who they are. And uh, professional jobs, who has those? I don't really get it. Like, it's, there was just a lot of, like, lack of information. Um, and the modeling that was available to me was really like um, people who maybe felt like <sighs> disappointed by or frustrated by or, you know, all and all very reasonably, <laughs> you know, like um, stressed out by money, right? Like that was, the, that was my norm. Um, and so going into the experience of getting out of college, like suddenly loans are, are due, I just like could not figure out how to make enough extra money to pay for them. And I just didn't know that you can call your student loans and go into um, 
deferment or forbearance and that they can look at your income and then set your payment according to your income. And if your income is super low, your payment is often somewhere around, your payment can be as low as zero, right, depending on how low your income is. I just did not know about income-based repayments. And unfortunately, you know, the folks when you're calling the student loans don't necessarily tell you. Whether they don't know or they're not supposed to tell you is unclear to me. Um, but really it was a, a lack of information and a lack of having a contact that would lead me to think I could get financial information that, that got me into that situation. And my loan to default for oh, probably about a year before I, maybe a little longer, <laughs> Um, before I essentially was able to like figure out how to get a job that that led me to have anything over like consistent amounts of money, but as soon as I had that job, I knew I did not want the stress of that of that loan default continuing to weigh me down. Like I really felt that 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 stress was was in my way, um, and it was taking like energy and life force away from me. Um, and I've always been feisty, <laughs> right? Again, as a creative. Um, I really work to see and, and put into place the, the, the world I would like to have, right? And that includes fighting against things that I don't think are right. So I was very committed to getting that, that sort of like negative <laughs> um, experience of being in default like out of my experience as soon as possible. And so the, the next step, you know, once I got that first paycheck was to call um, the collections folks where I had gotten to. And to take a deep breath, you know, and to like sit down and to be as nervous as I needed to be and to let myself feel frustrated and sad, but just to make that first call and say, hey, what, what do I need to do to fix this? Um, and for anyone who's ever had to remediate a student loan, you, you have to make, um, depending on the plan, like your first 10 to 12 payments on a very strict payment schedule. You can't miss one. Um, you only get one chance to remediate your loan, so it feels high stakes. Um, so um, that led to me staying in a job that wasn't actually a very healthy job for me. It felt like, well, gosh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, get this loan remediated and then keep going. And, um, and that was where it started, right? It was, like, just facing, like, something that felt scary and terrible and doing it. And, and so on. For those of you listening, I will tell you that, like, it was not, um, it was not fun, right, to, to make that first phone call. But once I started the process of like beginning to remediate the loan, it the the, the stress and attention did begin to dissipate. And the relief was so palpable. It was a it was a, absolutely a positive reinforcement. And I think that's that it's not some kind of precedent for me, right? Where I realized that if I could start to figure something out, I could get I could create a, a positive for myself where there had been a worry. And so you know, not long after I finished remediating my loan, I quit the very unpositive um, day job that I had and picked up freelance work, right? I was committed to continuing to pay off my loan, so not going back into default. But I also just knew that I couldn't choose to work in an environment that felt um, uh, like it was going to crush my spirit, right? If anyone's ever had a job like that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so I started my own business um, as a, like, when web developer working in HTML, right? This was 2006 or so. Mm -hmm. um, and I decided that I was going to learn everything that I could about what it meant to be in business for myself. 
And I, I came up with this idea that I still like to share with people today, this idea of um, tossing, taking ourselves seriously. So, so even in my business, when I was making 800 bucks in a month, 1200 bucks in a month, um, 1500 bucks in a month, not a ton of money, but, you know, enough to cover, like, the absolute things it had to cover. Um, I still treated that business and treated that work like it was, um, you know, a, like, high-end entrepreneurial work. I had a business bank account. I had a business savings account. I had, um, you know, I, I took care of my receipts each, um, each month. I did my accounting. And I also started um, a small SEP, self-employed plan, retirement account. Um, and even when there was months when I put, you know, 20 or 50 bucks into it, I still was treating it seriously. And I was saying, this is how I'm going to approach the work that I'm going to do, that I feel like I'm putting a super positive effect for myself into it. And again, it was just amazing that the psychological impact of saying, I know I'm doing something positive for my future, even while I'm paying back my student loans, was huge, 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 huge. And I was eventually able to get to a place where I um, would put aside an equal amount of money each month. Whatever I was paying towards my student loans, I was paying, I was putting towards my savings or my retirement. And that was a decision that I made, <laughs> you know, being a little bit, I think, of a, of a, of a rat, you know, saying, well, okay, if, I, if I'm going to, like, pay this much towards my loans, then I'm going to make darn sure I pay this much towards myself. But it's a decision I feel great about, whatever the motivation was, <laughs> um, because it, it gave me something positive to work towards, something I felt good and excited about. So I will pause there. Mm. Oh, so many great points there. You know, um, I yeah, want to highlight the importance of uh, reaching out for help and seeing all of our options when it comes to our money because like you said the student loan people don't necessarily tell you about the income-based repayment options and Mm -hmm. there is a lot that keeps people from asking and so consequently either money leaks out or you know they do go into default or things when there may be other options so I do want to highlight that you really, um, you know, were able to kind of, um, in several of the instances you shared, really research things, really look into it, talk to professionals. I really encourage people to uh, to do that and um, get all the information, um, even if you're embarrassed to ask and, and really uh, get the support you need. And mm-hmm. just... I appreciate your uh, dedication and like grit towards, you know, I'm committed to this. I am going to, uh, you know, stay on top of these loan payments and do what it takes to have a job that's in alignment with, with your values and really forge your own way. And I feel like as, as women in this era in 2018 with so much transformation happening that, uh, a key part of, of being adaptable is is just being able to know our own values and and really be able to move towards goals and be able to, you know, be flexible with that, but also mm-hmm. just, you know, be committed to showing up for ourselves and what we really value with how we both um, generate income and also where we put our investments and where we bank. Mm-hmm. Um, anything mm-hmm. you'd like to mm-hmm. say about that? 
kind of alignment with money and values and, and the power and importance of that? Um, oh, I love all of that. I have so much to say about it. <laughs> um, so so in, um, a workshop that I started teaching in, in communities um, starting oh, about January 2017 was a workshop that I call Hacking Capitalism. Then I draw on a, a couple of things. I draw on my experience as a technologist. I work with computers. I, I, I think that there's actually a ton of like quote, hacking that's actually really positive. A, a, a hacking can look like trying to figure out how to, like, you know, find that backup of the document that you think your, you know, Microsoft Word lost, and you're sitting around on your computer for it. Like, you're, you're hacking, right? Hacking is just a way of trying to solve a problem that's not the most um, well-known way to solve it. And there's negative implications of hacking, but I'm going to put those aside. Um, because we're not, I, I never want to, and I never do, like try to instruct people to do things that are, that are illegal, right? Like we don't, we don't actually need to go in there. We can find many sort of like above the board, awesome ways to leverage our power and to stand in our, our values and to stand in value-based choices. Um, and so in this, in this hacking capitalism workshop that I, that I do, we talk about a couple things, but one of the big things that people will talk about is selecting banks. So I love that you brought that up, selecting banks that we feel great about. Um, and there's, there's plenty of reasons that we might want to change the, the banks that we use. Um, you know, a big motivator in the last year, year and a half for people has been um, certain banks funding um, uh, oil pipelines, for example. And if you feel concerned about the impacts of um, um, fossil fuels on our globe, um, you might not feel great about working with a bank that is funding oil pipelines, right? Um, so, so we go through a process of trying to just, number one, like, just understand what it would take to change banks. So I have this super practical list of things. And then what type of bank might you choose? And there's a couple great resources out there. Um, bank Local is one. Um, break Up With Your Mega Bank is another. But I'd like to enlighten people and, and say, you know, here's the reality, is that when we move our money from super big corporate banks, we're taking, we're taking just like a tiny drop in the bucket out of their storehouses. Um, however, when we're putting our money into um, cooperative banks, community banks, um, uh, local banks, things like that, smaller banks, the money we put into them actually makes a much bigger impact. Um, and I think a lot about where we, where we put our money matters a ton whether it's the bank that we use, the investments that we make, or the shopping that we do, right? Um, it's, it's not, you know, where we put our money's uh, impact is not just in our, like, maybe charitable giving, although it's also there. Um, we, as you mentioned, we use money almost every day. And when we become conscious and cognizant of where we're flowing it through, when, when we allow ourselves to have the information, right, so we can make informed decisions, because the reality is we can't necessarily maybe find the time and the energy to like completely research or um, make every decision be the most positively impactful, but we can allow ourselves to make, you know, a series of impactful decisions with our money that let us stand in choice, right? And stand in, um, uh, stand, stand in power. Well, I picked this, but I, didn't have, I just wasn't able to pick that. So I know what it means is what I'm picking. So I have, uh, I have a free download on my website that's all about how you can pick 
um, a bank that feels great to you. Um, and a couple that includes like a very specific list, you know, what to do, what to look out for, how to make sure you've moved all of your automatic, you know, transfers over and things like that. Um, and a couple things to watch out for, like you might not want to close a credit card account, um, even if you really don't like the bank with why. Um, because keeping your credit good is actually really important, right? You might want to stop using that credit card and get a new one. Um, closing credit accounts might have a deleterious effect on your credit. So I don't necessarily want us to be doing things that don't bring us more financial resilience. I always want us to be moving towards informed and strategic um, choice and financial resilience. Yes, such a great point to uh, to really, you know, balance the emotion and the mind and be able yeah. to approach things from, you know, doing the research, looking at the impacts of, of what this is and, and honoring, you know, that, that we get all stirred up by, by seeing the people at Standing Rock and want to shut our Wells Fargo, yeah. you know, credit card and, and just really, um, you know, uh, looking at the consequences, and and I love how you point out it's not only withdrawing from from the big uh, corporate banks who are investing in these type of destruction, uh, but also then um, putting it into local banks and credit unions um, and things that are in alignment and and how it's really amplified that we really can have bigger impact than we even imagine, you know, so much uh, of mainstream messaging tells us that that we aren't significant and uh, and yet we really do vote with our dollars. And so... um, really important to remind people about that. Uh, Let's go ahead and take a short break here. And when we get back, let's really dive into more about the communication piece and how can people talk more openly and authentically about their money and with their loved ones about this. Are you ready to enjoy greater financial freedom? Perhaps you're like Emily, a creative entrepreneur who wants to increase her income to provide for her family. Using the free video training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com, she learned the secrets to accessing hidden resources and creating lasting wealth. Emily learned a persuasive negotiation technique to bring in more money with her top clients. She boosted her credit score and opened new financial doors while reducing expenses and she took specific steps to strengthen her existing relationships and create a safety net for her business. With the Discover Your True Wealth training, thousands of women have improved their bank balances and secured their family's future. With this free video course, you'll transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. Take charge of your financial situation with the training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com. Hello, we are back here um, with our guest, Hadassah Damien. And just love uh, your perspective on finances and and leading a creative, purposeful uh, life and having resilience and ability to adapt to changing circumstances and and finding our own power and and that includes finding our voice about money 
And, uh, you know, imagine if you're listening now, what if you were able to talk more comfortably about money, you know, with your partner and get on the same page and really, you know, uh, be coordinated and supportive allies of one another in, in your financial life? And what if you were really able to understand each other's, uh, you know, money history and how that impacts your fears and hopes about money? And and what if you were able to talk to your, um, you know, aging parents about what their plans were for for the end of their lives and and how to uh, to openly discuss inheritance and and what legacy we want to live and and what if you were able to talk to your say um 18 year old child about the options of whether they want to go into student loan debt for for college or um what it looks like to to pay that off and and so there's so many opportunities we have to really uh be bold and courageous in in talking about money and i i think i'd like to begin by hearing a little from you uh why why you think why you think it's so important to have more uh open money conversations mm-hmm. um there's there's so many reasons i feel so excited about working with people and, and providing resources so that folks can have more open and honest money conversations and i think they a lot of them stem from Again, my experience as um, as an artist, a creative, um, and, and an activist, and a um, member of the LGBTQ community, like so much of so many practices that have been handed to me and have been liberatory for me, have been about speaking truth to power, right? And then that means figuring out ways to name and say the things that um, that we maybe aren't supposed to talk about or are supposed to say hidden. And and to me, there's um, so much possible power for each of us when we start stepping into our abilities and start growing our abilities to break the silence that hangs around talking about money. I uh, I read something a couple months ago that said that people are, are much more likely to share details of their intimate sex lives than they are to share details of their financial lives, which on one hand, I feel um, great <laughs> that we, um, as a, as a uh, you know, as cultures and societies, have made more space <laughs> for for individuals to talk about the realities of our of our sexual lives. That's great, um, but it's to me there's still something missing because we still feel like we can't really talk about finances and money, um, and there's such an opportunity there. And so, I I work, you know, both as a um, coach for individuals and couples and um, a, a course and workshop leader. And so many people were asking me questions and, and so many couples were coming to me trying to figure out how to make their conversations with um, partners, right, married or not married partners, um, or their um, chosen families, right? So, um, you know, groups of people who decide to live together, how to make these conversations about money work better, um, how to have some tools, how to have some resources. And I spent a lot of time 
researching and, and but also creating and testing and talking to people and trying things out and seeing what was successful with my clients in, in my classes. And I recently put out two things that are in support of these conversations. And and one of them is is an ebook. It's a workbook. So what it is is it's ten pages of um, journal prompts and then conversation starters. So the idea being you can, you know, get get consent and agreement with your partner or group of people that you want to be in conversation with, and then everyone can fill out a worksheet um, and just do some, like, self-reflection and grow your own self-understanding, right? Sometimes, you know, when there's something we don't get a chance to talk about a lot, we might not even know how we think about it or feel like we have the, the words, you know, for it. So I, I like to start people off with some, some self-reflection. And then folks can move into these conversation starters, um, which allows you to, you know, to, again, I, I believe that, like, consent and agreement ahead of time is so important for these conversations to feel um, like we can enter into them with shared, um, shared senses of being grounded and connected. Um, so if you're looking at, if everyone's looking at the conversation starters ahead of time, you know the question you're going to be asked. You can think about it. You can take the self-reflection tools and think about how you might apply them to the questions. And so, you know, questions that I like to share with people are things like, you know, fill in the blank. Money is a blank. And people have really, really awesome conversations when you get to listen to somebody else, the idea of what that blank is filled in as, right, is a, is a resource, is a tool, is a problem, is oppressive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, other questions I like to share with people as conversation starters is, um, you know, what do you think economic justice would look like in this country? I think that's different for everybody. Um, and, and there's many right answers to these questions. Um, should we share how much money you make? Why or why not? Or are there ways you think that your family was different from other families because of money? Um, and then the way that I like to think about these conversation prompts, and I encourage people to come up with their own, of course, but is to think of ones that are non-judgmental and that hold space for people to have really different kinds of answers. Because in, in my experience, and I've worked with you know, hundreds of people at this point, everybody is so unique in how they relate to money. Everybody's experience and story is a combination of their identities and their financial realities and their expectations and their, their current situations. It's so unique that everyone's going to have a different kind of answer to these, which, which means that it's a conversation like this is actually a chance to know somebody that you care about more, which is amazing, right? To me, building strong relationships. And I think, Crystal, you, you talk about this in your work. Building our, building strong networks and strong relationships is itself a form of, like, building building wealth, right? When we have, like, strong people in our lives, like, our, our lives are enriched by that deeply. Um, and so, I, you know, getting to watch um, partners, um, and, and groups of people who are often I work with folks who are thinking about or in the process of um, starting collective homes together, starting with permanent chosen family kind of spaces. Watching people get to have these conversations with care and intention 
and generate closeness is amazing because it, it resists this sort of historical silence that we have all been in around money and economics. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the historical violence around money and economics. And I have seen that, too, how shame and guilt and fear have kept people quiet and uh, and really not engaged with, with their money in a healthy way. And, and I mm-hmm. see that intimacy that these money conversations build. And you've probably seen this in your workshops as people just, you know, often break down in tears. They're like, oh, my God, I've never told anybody about this challenging thing with money or this way, you know, I'm, I'm suffering. And, and there's mm-hmm. so much relief on the other side of that shame when they can connect mm-hmm. and, and hear other people's stories and be like, oh, I'm not alone in the, in the money struggle. Mm-hmm. In fact, almost everyone has some, uh, some kind of struggle or stress around money. Um, have, have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mean, one thing that I feel like has been really amazing and, and honestly healing for me is to, is to get to work with people from all kinds of economic experiences and backgrounds. Because one thing that I've, I've seen is that stress for money has no, it has no class limitation. It has no resource limitation. Whether you have a lot of money or you are deeply in, in lack, people all have stress. It, it looks different. It manifests differently, right? But, um, you know, and, and so so to your question, yes, I have seen people so often, right? I, I get emails from people who have taken my courses or I, I hear from someone at the end of a, of a coaching session. Um, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better. <laughs> just Just facing this, just taking one step, right? Just having one conversation about this lifts and shifts something in each of us. And that's it's honestly why I feel super excited and passionate about people learning to do that work together um, and learning to be in practice together and to, to name what we know and what we're trying to figure out together, which is it, it's honestly part of why I ended up building a whole a whole toolkit for people to, to work on their money together. Right? It, it starts with these like self-reflections and, and conversations, but it but it goes into the tactical and practical stuff that that I know that people are trying to solve together, right? And that often looks like what's our household budget, right? Or how do we save up for something big together, like a partnership ceremony or um, having, a, having a kid, <laughs> going on a big vacation? Or, um, you know, how do, we, how do we buy a house together, right? A lot of people in my age group in our 30s and 40s are, are asking that. Um, mm-hmm. So I built a whole bunch of like, tools, right, into this toolkit so you can – you know, literally walk through steps of figuring out what your questions are, figuring out what the specifics are, going to get information, coming back, you know, um, deciding who's going to work on what, figuring out what you still need to know, right? Building in consent, accountability, transparency. And then because I'm a, I'm a money nerd, there's a bunch of spreadsheets in there. <laughs> um, and because I'm like a communication nerd, there's, there's a ton of guides for how you can really deepen these conversations and, and, um, and sort of be in deeper connection while you're doing this. I'll pause mm. there, but I get so excited on this stuff. <laughs> cool. 
So you've talked to so many people and and worked with so many different people. What do you see as some of the most common challenges that people have, either about money in general or more specifically about uh, communicating with money, the top few challenges and, and maybe any advice you have for people around those? Mm. I will name I will name two individual um, challenges and then and then a communication challenge. To me, like one of the top, and this is only for this, this doesn't apply to everyone, but for you who it applies, you're going to know who you are. One of the things I see people um, find when I have people walk through like a, a budget exercise and actually look at where their money's going. Um, people are often shocked at how much money they're spending on um, car sharing, right, ride apps. Um, and for, for a lot of folks I work with, and certainly not everybody, because it doesn't apply to everyone, but for a lot of folks I work with, there's a real moment of, oh, my gosh, I did not realize I was spending this much money on that. Um, so those, those tend to be places where, or money pits, I might call them. <laughs> and when you figure out whatever your you know, money pit is, if you have one, then you, again, you stand in a place of informed choice. You can say, you know what, you just make my life livable, and I, now I know how much it costs. Or you could say, oh, now that I realize this, I want to change, right? So figuring out what your, you know, literally what your money is going into is so informative and lets you choose, number one. Number two, I have to work with a lot of people who feel super intimidated by trying to figure out how to invest with our futures. Do that in retirement or in personal investing, et cetera. Um, and I would just like to share that there is so much information out there. There's people who want to help. There's books, there's podcasts, there's, um, there's teachers. And it is so valuable and worth the time that you put in to educate yourself on this stuff. Um, and it's, and, you know, pro tip, if you have a job that offers a match on a retirement contribution, it's an awesome thing to take them up on. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but I know that the language and terminology feels very alienating to a lot of people. So um, I'm super fascinated by, interested in, and excited about investing because I want to see women, I want to see creative, folks of color, queer people, people who, who experience marginality and who, who don't have um, as much access to resources be able to have enough when we are older, right? I'm super passionate about developing, you know, uh, retirement savings and savings as one form of resilience, right? Developing communities and other things is another. But those are two personal things that I, that I see a lot um, that, I, that I love to, like, go in there with. I, I think, honestly, Crystal, my next course is going to be a course on, like, just demystifying investment terminology um, because people need it, and then it lets people be able to make these, these decisions. One that I see a lot is, like, people really holding on to their interpretation of a story, um, which we all do. I certainly do, right? We all do this. Um, because this is where we come from, right? This is what I think. This is what I heard. This is what I took from it. Um, and something I see really successful, and this is part of why I like to give people really specific prompts and specific things to think about, because it lets you come into a story from a different angle, 
So if you thought you know what your partner or your best friend or your collaborator thought you knew how they are about money, and you, you thought you understood, you know, you, you've got your picture painted on, on how they are, um, there's still a ton of value in asking them and hearing it directly from them and hearing it from them in a new way because it lets you add depth to the story to understand more about that person, to maybe get to hear some of their motivation. And mm-hmm. I think especially when people are making decisions that, that we might not make, um, it really is helpful to understand what's underneath the surface and why so that we can generate empathy, right? And again, all of this is like generating a deeper connection with people. Hmm. Right. It's it's uh, money can actually be a unifying factor. It's something that we all engage with in some way. And mm. so why should money keep us separated? You know, it's because it keeps us out of our power. It keeps us from being mm. informed uh, d- decision makers and voting with our dollars when there is shame and fear and lack of clarity mm in our own personal mm-hmm. finances. And so I, I really hear you speaking to that greater connection with ourselves, with our intimate, lo- close loved ones, and and then with our bigger communities, with the impact investing and the way that a lot of women and millennials, there is a huge investment trend of, of more and more financial resources uh, coming from older white uh guys who are um, passing on and and uh, leaving that to the women and, and millennials. And so there is uh, more and more interest in, in those demographics of having values aligned investments. And I think it's, uh, yeah, a really exciting time to let, let's use our storytelling power um, here in this moment and, and imagine if, if, we were impacting, you know, uh, more and more people and people were in this healthy, empowered, uh, resilient place with, with their finances and, and creating, um, you know, good income and investments. What, what would change in the world? What would it look like as more and more women in particular, you know, many people listening are like us in their 30s and 40s and entrepreneurial. Um, and so what, what, what is your vision of, of the f- future of a more healthy economy where women are more empowered with their money? Um, amazing question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I mean, I see so much of it as like as as feeling like we can not only demand but expect that the ecosystems, the the financial structural ecosystems that are at play, are tuned towards a more just and sustainable world, right? So that I think looks like you know, shareholder advocacy and impact investing and divesting from fossil fuels, right? So, um, uh, you know, women and, and others who feel really, really like, yes, I know how to do this. I feel great about this. My dollars have the impact. And I think it also looks like um, us having just more resources. I know for myself, as I've moved into more and more abundantly paying um, work, um, both with the day jobs that I have and my work with Ride Free Fearless Money and my, my artwork 
um, it means I'm able to actually purchase and move money more in alignment with my values. So that looks like buying things from my, my friends, right? Buying my friends at work, um, supporting other local artists. It looks like hiring people in my network, right? Like hiring an herbalist, right? And a nutritionist um, who, are, who are folks who I'm very excited <laughs> to have in my ecosystem right now, um, right? But it looks like being able to actually do business with one another, mm-hmm. right? And have the resources to pay each other um, as, as we would like to be paid. <laughs> um, and I also think I recently read this quote that when, when women specifically have more financial resources, a huge proportion of that goes directly back into our families and communities, right? So that looks like our kids and our nieces and nephews and our the kids that were, you know, um, uh, family aunts and uncles of um, and, and our friends having things, right? Having college funds, having, um, uh, you know, like help with childcare, having more items that, that their parents might need, right? So it's like, using some of the like individual family burden. Um, it looks like being able to give our kids things that we want, <laughs> right? Like whether that's educational experiences or cultural experiences, because we want them to be, you know, as like awfully well-rounded as possible. It looks like being able to fund movements and organizations that we care about, right? Um, and being able to put donations into maybe whether it's, you know, political um, candidates who we're excited about or um, grassroots organizations who are helping people who uh, need help, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, there's so many ways for us to put our money where our values are. But step one is often like ha- have money, <laughs> you know, and I, <laughs> um, I, I, I did an analysis a couple of months ago of like on average, like how much money people at different income levels give. And there's folks who are lower income and folks who are higher income tend to give it similar percentages of their of their money. Folks who are in middle income tend to give it a slightly lower percentage, right? Because we're in the sort of squeeze part. <laughs> um, but I think it's really interesting to, to challenge each of ourselves to think about what can I give both financially but also time-wise, support-wise, otherwise. Um, and how with my donations, but also with my spending and my investment, you know, how do I move money through the world in, uh, in ways that I feel great about? And, and how do I also let myself say, you know, on this type of thing, I'm just going to do okay. And on this other type of thing, I'm going to, you know, do awesome. <laughs> and how do we let ourselves make sure that we have the time for, to develop self-care practices um, I'm a very good advocate that, that we not beat ourselves up to not be explicit because there is no explicit, <laughs> right? There's practices. There's, there's practices that move us ever into the alignment that we want. Yeah. Yeah, I love the words. Um, I, I feel like you're speaking to a new respect and reverence for our money, and you know, um, acknowledging it as as a sacred part of our life, and that it's you know, especially creatives and younger people that can be kind of a, a disregard, um, a kind of f you to the 
the man and the system and, you know, uh, kind of like, I'm not going to play your game. And, and unknowingly, they're still participating and having a, a bank account at a big bank or, you know, all these ways in which uh, they could be impacting the change they want to see if they gave a certain respect and reverence to their own financial flow and instead of uh, seeing money as, as not a spiritual thing and that they, you know, um, Mm-hmm. don't agree with the system and so it's like acknowledging those emotions of of rage towards this extractive economy and being like this isn't mm-hmm. working and it's creating these huge wealth uh divides between races and and men and women and mm-hmm. and classes mm-hmm. uh and, and so we see that more and more you know um in in this country is is the growing wealth divide and so naming that and being able to to connect for what is the more beautiful world and and how do we channel our energy time money resources uh towards creating that together um Mm. and, and so if people are inspired by what they've heard you share today um i'd love to hear more about um just remind people um about uh the name of the course you have and and your website where they can find that and then if there's you know if you have any closing thoughts or remarks you'd like to share go ahead and do that okay um and i yes i just deeply resonate with with what you just said and to me and i i like to describe myself as dura financial real talk <laughs> i'm like you know i'm a rock and roller i'm a motorcyclist and i get it like this system looks and is deeply broken um and ways that we fix it start with us facing it um so that's that is why i do this work i am i'm in it to win it um with with people i you know want to see succeeding so so my work is collected at Ride Free Fearless Money. My name is Hadassah Damian. And uh, the course I was talking about earlier is called Partners Make Peace and Plans with Money. And you can find that along with the workbook um, to talk about money on my website at ridefreefearlessmoney.com. And uh, along with a bunch of research writing that is um, so smart and I like to think funny. So <laughs> um, please always feel free to uh, shoot me an email and tell me all what you think. Um, my newsletter is there, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's what I'll share. And I'll also just say, Crystal, thank you so much for having me. This has been a really cool um, opportunity and conversation. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been such a delight hearing your wisdom, your unique perspective. I love how you just described yourself and and this passion for transforming uh, money and people's relationship to it to a more healthy uh, place and just really encourage people to check out her uh, writing and her website and uh you know, just uh, have courage. That's what I want to say in closing is um, whether no matter what your gender or sexual orientation race is, uh, it requires courage from all of us to face the inequities in our financial system and to actively engage in ways in our families and communities 
that we can uh, become more empowered and sovereign with our our money and and acknowledge this web of interconnectivity and have the courage to really um, become more uh, engaged in an intimate economy um, where we know the people that we buy from and and align our money with our values. So really encourage people to take some action and uh, check out her website. And thank you so much for sharing uh, such beautiful wisdom with us here today. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.